So we are in week three of our Christmas series called What Child Is This? And we are walking through this question and thinking about this question from a certain perspective that maybe you haven't thought of before. And we're doing it from the perspective of Isaiah. And Isaiah was a prophet. If you haven't been here the last couple weeks, or you're just kind of catching up. He was a prophet who lived 700 years before Jesus was around. And he got some very, very interesting information. He was given of some information from God that he was supposed to relay. And we have those words written still for us today. And he was given information about the Messiah. And two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that he was actually given information about Jesus, where he would be born, who he would be a descendant of. And then Pastor Andrew came last week and he talked about the role that Jesus would fill and he would be that humble servant. And today we're going to talk about what Jesus looked to accomplish. And 700 years before Jesus came to accomplish that goal, he was, we were told what that goal was going to be. Isaiah was told what that goal was going to be and how he was going to accomplish it. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And so if you have a Bible or you want to turn on your Bible, if you're on your phone, you can watch up here. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 53, and we're going to pick up right where Pastor Andrew left off. So we're going to pick up in verse 7. So Isaiah 53, we'll start in verse 7 and read verses 7, 8, and 9. Verse 7 says this, He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong, had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. All right, let's pause there. Now, you're probably saying great verses to start Christmas Sunday off with, Pastor Corey. So hopeful, so uplifting. Not really, right? There's a lot of pain there. There's death there. There's anguish there. There's frustration there. And really, when we read these verses, we think, at least I do, I think more to Jesus' crucifixion than I do to his birth. And if you've maybe heard the crucifixion story. We don't have time to go there and read the whole thing today, but some of the things I just read maybe piqued some of your interest. You, you kind of heard those things and you said, man, I've, I heard that as part of the crucifixion story before. And here's, here's where we kind of have to start today. Is that Jesus was born to die. Not a very happy place to start. I promise it'll get better. But one of Jesus's main objectives when he came to earth was to die. And that sounds so opposite. For us, right? Because many of us spend a lot of time, including myself, with safeguards to make sure that we don't die, right? We make sure that we have things in place so that we don't end up ending our life sooner than we want to. You probably have smoke detectors in your house. You don't notice them most of the time, but you will if there's a fire, right? And why are those there? So if you're asleep and there's a fire or something and you need to get up and get out so that you don't get hurt, that happens. Maybe when you got in the car and you came on the way here, you put on your seatbelt just to make sure that if you were in an accident, you were protected. Maybe you've been in a situation where you and and some friends were going to do something maybe a little risky. Maybe you were going to go cliff jumping. Has anyone ever gone cliff jumping before? Okay, handful. Maybe that looked great and you, on your swim up, you thought this is going to be fun. You watched a lot of other people jump off, like just into the water, right? No problem. Person after person, you're just thinking this is great. And then what happens? You get up to the edge of the rock you have to jump off of and you become a wet dish rag. Right? You stop and you think this is not a good idea, and you lose all your courage. 
and you start to think about what's under the water. If I land at the wrong spot or I jump in the wrong way, am I going to hit something? Am I going to not be able to swim anymore? Maybe there's even a situation where you were handed a certain diagnosis and you have to do things in order to cure that diagnosis that seem opposite of your well-being, whether it's chemo or it's a surgery or something like that, right? We spend a lot of time, I spend a lot of time, maybe I should just talk for myself, I spend a lot of time doing things and trying to make sure that I don't end up with my life ending before I want it to. But Jesus was the opposite. Jesus' goal, one of his goals when he came, was to offer his life. It was to take on human flesh so that he could be that sacrifice for us. I want to back up and go and read these three verses again and kind of dig in a little more as far as what these mean and how they influence us today and what information Isaiah was actually given. So let's go back to verse 7 really quick. It says, He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. I was reminded of one of the great pictures of this a couple weeks ago as I was watching a movie with my kids. And we've been kind of going through different Christmas movies at home as you do around Christmas time, and it's fun with little kids. And so we were watching a movie. We were watching The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe from Chronicles of Narnia. Now, let's see. How many of you have watched that movie? Okay. How many of you have read the book? Okay, that's the only, I'm not, a, I like reading, but I'm, I don't like reading at the same time, if that makes sense. It's the only book I've ever read in one day, where I just started it and I just went the whole way. Now, if you, if you know the book, you're like, it's like this big, Pastor Corey. Of course, you could read it in a day. I know. But still, that was the only one. But I'm watching this, and if you haven't heard the story, or you haven't watched the movie, let me just set it up a little bit for you. There's four kids, right? There's Edmund, Peter, Susan, and Lucy. And Edmund is always the one who's in trouble. Edmund's always the one at odds with other one, the other three siblings. And Edmund's always the one with the bad attitude. Maybe you know a sibling uh, that's like that, or maybe you were a sibling like that, right? And so he gets into Narnia, and immediately he's in trouble. He connects with the White Witch, who is evil, not the person he's supposed to connect with. He makes a deal with her, and he actually ends up getting himself in trouble to the point where he gets captured. And so Aslan, who's the king, he's the lion, has to go and rescue Edmund. And so he does, and he brings him back to his camp, and everything's okay. But the white witch shows up again, and she says, hey, listen, he's a traitor. He committed treason. He's mine. You have no right to him. And so Aslan has to make a deal. He has to make a deal where he offers his life for Edmund. And so the scene where this verse comes to life for me, and we know that C.S. Lewis was a Christian. We know that he wrote this story as a version of the story where Jesus comes for us, right? He's walking towards his death, Aslan is, in the movie or in the book. And remember, he's a lion. He can roar, he can fight, he can claw, he can take down whoever he wants to take down. He just walks in silence towards the witch and her henchmen and her army. He allows them to tie him up. He allows them to cut off his mane and he allows them to kill him. And there's a really, really important part where Susan and Lucy watch this whole thing happen, and after Aslan is dead and they stay with him for a little while, they look at each other and they say, he must have known what he was doing. This wasn't a surprise. This wasn't something that he realized all of a sudden that this was going to be what was going to happen. He knew exactly what he was doing the whole time because they recognized the power that Aslan had and the way that he laid it down for Edmund. 
And if you've read the crucifixion story, you might read verse 7 and say, this reminds me of what Jesus did. See, Jesus is standing before Pilate, who's the judge who gets to decide whether he's going to die or not. And, and Pilate's asking him questions and trying to figure out, should this guy be killed? And, and Jesus is just quiet. And he just kind of allows the process to go. He could have argued. He could have fought. He could have called down angels, done whatever he wanted to, right? And he just allowed himself to walk towards this death. In verse 8, it says, Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. And then verse 9, he had done no wrong, had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Now this is where we get some really good information. And this is how we look at the story that we see in Isaiah and we look at Jesus' story and we know they match up. Because the first phrase is he had done no wrong and never deceived anyone. And when we, if we went to that passage where Pilate is deciding what to do with Jesus, he finally gives in and says, all these people want Jesus to die. I'm just going to let it happen. And he immediately goes and he washes his hands, right? Not because of COVID. He goes and washes his hands because he wants to say, I, I, Jesus' blood is off my hands. He's, he recognizes that Jesus did nothing wrong to deserve this, and he's just going to allow him to be crucified because he wants to appease the mass that's before him. So we know that Jesus had done no wrong. Isaiah gets that information here. The next phrase, but he was buried like a criminal. We know that Jesus was hung on a cross between two thieves. And so what did he look like for a few hours on that cross? A criminal. He received the, pain, the, the punishments that a criminal deserved. And then the third thing, and this is really, really cool. He was put in a rich man's grave. And again, if we were to go to the crucifixion story, this might sound familiar to you, but Jesus, after he dies, there's a man named Joseph of Arimathea who shows up and says, hey, can I bury him? Can I take his body and put him in my grave? Now, Joseph really wanted to honor Jesus with handing over what was probably his grave. Luckily for Joseph, Jesus only needed it for a few days, right? But Joseph was a rich man. Having graves available and having graves already bought for you was not something you did unless you had some money. And when we see this detail that, that Isaiah gives us, it would be easy at times. There, there are many stories in history where, where characters seem to parallel. And you can look at them a few hundred years apart and say, oh, it's just coincidence that they parallel. Listen, there, there was no way for Jesus to control who was going to bury him. And yet, Joseph of Arimathea shows up and fulfills the prophecy that Isaiah was given 700 years before. It helps us understand this idea that the information given to Isaiah was exactly what Jesus was sent to fulfill. And we can see that through the details we have in verses 7 through 9. Now, here's where that lands us. I believe that Jesus gave up what he wanted to give others what he needed. Now, I don't know for sure how Jesus felt about all this, right? I haven't sat down with Jesus and had a conversation, but here's, here's what I know from part of the story uh, where Jesus, right before Jesus is crucified, right, he goes and he prays to God. And what does he say? If there's any other way to do this, can we do it that way, other than me dying? Even though Jesus knew what he was getting himself into when he was born on earth, there still was that 
feeling of this death that I'm walking toward is not something that I want to do. He understood the greater good that was coming, and he was willing to do it for others. But he had to set aside what he wanted in order to get there. Now, let's go on to verse 10. Verse 10, things get a lot better, okay? So, Isaiah 53, verse 10 says, But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet, when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier, because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels, and he bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Pastor Andrew said last week that Isaiah 53 can be counted almost as another gospel because it gives us the information of the gospel. Why did Jesus have to come? We see all those first three verses. We see all the anguish, all the pain, all the things that Jesus is going to have to do. And then the second set of three verses, we see all that he's going to accomplish. And there are three phrases here that really stick out to me. The first is through anguish. Through anguish. Through death, Jesus is going to accomplish. What's he going to do? He's going to make it able for many to be made righteous. That's the goal. So that more than just him, so that many people could be made righteous. And why? Because he will bear their sins. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Through death, the payment for sins, many can receive salvation or many can become righteous. Why? Because Jesus would bear those sins instead of us. And so because of that, Jesus was able to accomplish what he came to accomplish. There's three phrases also in verse 12 that I want to talk about briefly that I think are very important to the way we understand the story. The first one is that he was exposed to death. What does that mean? It means that he was fully human. If he wasn't able to die, he wasn't fully human. What it means to be human is we're able to die, right? And so him being exposed to death, taking on that situation where he moved from heaven to earth means that he was able to die. Think about what Jesus' life was like before he came to earth, right? He sat on a throne. He was in heaven, in paradise, being worshipped all the time. And yet, he still chose to come to earth. He chose to put himself in a situation where he would become basically a helpless baby, hand himself over to the responsibility of two flawed human beings, and allow them to raise him, to leave what he knew in order to enter a place where death and sickness and pain were all a possibility, where before he didn't experience those things. Why was he willing to do that? He was willing to do it for us. The second phrase to kind of look at is that he was counted as a rebel, and that means that he took on our sin. Think about the worst misconception that someone would have about you. What, what might it be? I don't want you to say it out loud. Just think about it. What would be the worst misconception that you would want nobody to have about you? Maybe you've been in a situation where uh, you were in a grocery store. Maybe you had young kids, and one kid decides that this is the end of the world, and they just start to lose it, right? What do you hope in that moment? that no one's looking at you in the store, that no one's having the conception about you that you are a bad parent, right? 
If you were a lawyer, maybe the bad misconception would be that you're just a liar. Maybe if you sell cars, the bad misconception would be that you want to take advantage of people. There's bad misconceptions about everybody, and we all know what we would never want somebody to think about us. But what Jesus would never want somebody to think about him is that he was unrighteous, unholy, a sinner. And yet, he put himself in the place where he could be misconceived as so. Now let me be clear. He was never unrighteous. He was never unholy. And he was never a sinner. But when you're hanging on a cross next to criminals and dying a criminal's death, the misconception could be there. And yet he was willing to take that on and be seen as that for us. The third thing is that he was here to intercede for those rebels. And, and that means that he was making a way for those who couldn't make a way for themselves. See, I gave an example a few weeks ago where I was talking about how if you had you were at a holiday dinner and you had a white sweater or you had some light article of clothing and you spilled gravy or cranberry sauce or something on it, you wouldn't just take that and you wouldn't just sit it on the washer and let it sit there so that it would get clean by itself. There needs to be something that comes and takes away that stain. And here's what we have to understand. We, we couldn't make our way back to God by ourselves. We couldn't restore the relationship that was broken with God because of sin by ourselves. We have to have Jesus come and make that way for us. And that's exactly what Isaiah tells us 700 years before Jesus gets here. And it's exactly what takes place if we read the, the, the story of the crucifixion and we read the story of Christmas. And that's why Jesus came. Because he wanted to offer us the ability to have a restored relationship with him. Now I want to fast forward and actually go to part of the Christmas story. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 1. And there's a character here that I think we, we gloss over sometimes. I think he deserves a little bit more attention because I think he also did a really good example of showing us what Jesus would do before Jesus actually did it. Not to the same extent, but I think you'll understand what I mean. So we go to chapter 1 of Matthew. We're going to start in verse 18. It says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. So I think Joseph, we don't hear enough about Joseph, right? He doesn't get the focus. Mary gets the focus, and I get why, right? She was chosen to be the mother of God. She was chosen to do this incredible thing, and, and we should focus on her. And she has songs written about her and everything, but there's no Joseph did you know, right? That's never been written. So what is Joseph's role in all of this? And we don't hear a lot about Joseph past the time when Jesus is like 12. But here's what we know about Joseph. Think about his situation as he entered the Christmas story. 
he was engaged to be married and probably excited about that, and then he finds out that his fiance is pregnant and it's not his. How would you feel? Sad? Frustrated? Angry? And yet I think from these verses, what we understand about Joseph was that he was a really good man. He could have taken the full weight of the law and gone after Mary and just heaped shame upon her for what she had done. We know that she didn't do anything wrong, but what it looked like she had done. And yet he decides they're going to end things. He says, I'm out. We're going to go our separate ways. We're just going to do this quietly and forget that it ever happened and not heap shame upon Mary. And yet when he decided that, he gets visited by an angel who gives him some information. And maybe, just maybe, while the angel's giving him this information, he starts to put the pieces together of what the prophet Isaiah was told. He, said, he thinks, I know that Isaiah said this, the Messiah would come from Galilee. Okay, I'm from Galilee. The descendant would be of David. I'm a descendant of David. And something starts to click. And then he says, you will name him Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. And something clicked for Joseph where he then realized this is more important than just what I want. And so just like Jesus, I believe Joseph gave up what he wanted to give others what they needed. He realized in that situation he had to set aside what his plans were, set aside what he was going to do because he knew that people needed Jesus. Now make no mistake, this was still going to carry some weight. For Joseph, he was going to have to live out the consequence of this choice. In fact, if you were found in this situation, I bet you might have gone and had some conversations with some friends, some family members, and said, hey, this is what's going on. This is what I'm thinking about doing. I think I'm just going to have this quiet divorce and just start over with somebody else instead of Mary. And so maybe he goes home and he has this dream, and that same family member or friend sees him the next day and says, hey, are you on your way to kind of take care of things with Mary here and set this up? And, and Joseph looks at them and says, oh, no, 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 no. Angel showed up last night. My kid's going to be the Messiah. I think we're going to go through with this. What would you have said? I think you need to sleep on it again, Joseph, right? In fact, what we know from looking later in the Gospels is that the idea of being an illegitimate child followed Jesus into his adult years. So you think Joseph and Mary didn't deal with criticism? People making fun of them, people challenging their decision, people thinking they had done the wrong thing. No, that weight was carried with him. And yet, Joseph still decided he was going to go through with it, even though it was going to be a situation that was not going to be easy to live through. He set aside what he wanted so that he could give, Jesus, give others what they needed, and that was Jesus. So where does this land us today? As we think about Christmas, we think about the Christmas story, we think about what we know Jesus came to do because of what Isaiah said he would do and then the way it was fulfilled. And ultimately, I think it lands us in a spot where we realize that we've been given an undeserved gift. We've been given something that we did not deserve, and it's a result of Jesus making the decision to give up what he wanted in order to give us what we needed. And as we think about this undeserved gift, I, I don't know about you, I think a lot about gifts at Christmas time. I think they're fun. But there's something different about when you think you deserve something as compared to when you think you don't. Right? Like you, there are certain people you probably think, oh, if they give me a gift, like they should. Right? Maybe we think that way. But if somebody comes and they, gives you, they give you a gift that maybe you didn't expect, 
or maybe it's clearly way more expensive than you thought they would spend on you. It changes your perspective, doesn't it? It changes the way that you see that person and you see that relationship. There are three things I want to talk about just briefly as we think about this idea of an undeserved gift. The first one is the fact that the lion became a lamb. If we go back to the idea of Aslan for a minute, right? The picture that C.S. Lewis gives us so clearly. In that moment where Aslan's walking to his death, he kind of gave up being a lion, didn't he? He didn't fight. He didn't assert himself as the king. He said, I'm going to allow this to happen. Jesus did the same thing, and it didn't start with the crucifixion. It started at Christmas. It started with the king of the universe being willing to take on this small baby form and just let himself be seen as something that was harmless, 100% harmless, just like a lamb. And even though through his life he showed himself to be the king at certain times, he showed himself to be able to be powerful and do amazing things, he still walked towards that death as someone who was the lamb who was given as the sacrifice for our sins. The second thing is this. His undeserved demise gives us undeserved favor. Remember, he didn't deserve his death. He didn't deserve to be put on that cross. And yet somehow someone dying undeservedly gives us the opportunity to have favor. Because he was willing to give up his life, his life, his sacrifice, then counts for us. Then is the thing that is payment for our sins, even though we don't deserve it. Because he was willing to give up his life, we have the opportunity to have life because he rose again three days later. The last thing is this. The one who deserved to receive decided to be the one who gives. And at Christmas, what Jesus gave us was the opportunity of salvation. He deserved and still deserves all the praise, all the honor, all the glory. And it would have been 100% fine for him to sit back and just receive that and receive that and receive that and receive that. He is the one who deserves to be worshipped. And yet, he has decided to be the one who gives. He decided to be the one who gave the gift of life to us. He decided to be the one who's going to continue, by the way, to give us grace and mercy and forgiveness every time we sin, even though we still don't deserve it. And so he decided, even though he deserved to be the one who received, to be the one who would give. When we think about Christmas, I, I think if we are followers of Jesus, it should recalibrate the way that we understand who we are and what we've received that we do not deserve. It should re move us to a place where we recognize all that we've been given and what Jesus was willing to do for us. And it changes then the way that we follow him because it should create a bigger commitment, more of a commitment to continue to go after him because we realize everything he gave up and gave to come after us and the undeserved gift that he offers us. Now, what I don't want to do is I don't want to move from this place this morning and not give us the opportunity to respond if we haven't decided to follow Jesus already. There are those of us in the room. There are those of us watching online. There are those of us who could be listening to a podcast a year and a half from now, driving down the road and hearing this. Maybe for the first time, it's 
real or the first time it's making sense or the first time it just, you've decided it's something that you want to do. And I would challenge you and give you the opportunity to decide to follow Jesus today. I would challenge you to accept the gift that Jesus has offered because you recognize that your relationship with God isn't where it needs to be. That's a, that's a hard realization to come to, but man, when you decide to follow Jesus it, and, and receive the undeserved gift of Jesus' grace and mercy and forgiveness and his blood counts for your sin, man, it's freeing. And it's something that those of us in the room who have done it, I don't think we've ever regretted it. So here's what I'm going to do. In just a minute, I'm going to, I'm going to walk us through a prayer and you have the opportunity, whether you're sitting in the room or watching online, driving down the road a year and a half from now. Don't close your eyes if you're driving down the road a year and a half from now. But you're going to have the opportunity to follow along with this prayer. And if it's something that you, a decision that you want to make today, you just follow that prayer. You say that phrase, those phrases to Jesus. And I want to be clear about this. This is just you having a conversation with Jesus. There's no magic words I'm going to say. There's no right way to say it or wrong way to say it. All that needs to be true is that you're having a conversation with Jesus and you mean the words that you're saying. That's it. And if that's something that you want to do today, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. So if you are in the room with me, would you close your eyes and bow your heads, please? And if you're in the room and you're a follower of Jesus, would you pray for those who might be hearing this right now that God would move in their hearts? And so if that's you and you decided today that you would like to follow Jesus for the first time, here's, here's all you need to do. Just pray, dear Jesus, I recognize that I have done wrong things. And those things are sin and they separate me from you. And I believe that you came at Christmas time, that you were born as a baby, 100% human, still 100% God. And you lived a sinless life and you died a criminal's death to pay for my sins. I believe three days later you rose again. And I believe that you through your new life, have offered me new life. I want you to save me today. And I want to follow you with my life. Now with every head bowed and eyes closed still in the room, by the way, if you're in the room, no one can see you on live stream. All they can see is me. If you prayed that prayer, would you simply just raise your hand and let me know? Just so I can see if anybody did. All right, you guys can open your eyes and unbow your heads. I just want to say, if, if anybody's in the room and they didn't raise their hand, or you're online and you if you raised your hand, I wasn't able to see you, you have the opportunity to respond if you just simply go to our website. Go to mygracefamily.church and you go to the next steps card. And you click there and you'll fill out just your brief information and you'll check the box that says salvation. I would just say, hey, would you do that if you prayed today? And, and just to let us know. And we're not going to call you and ask for anything. We're not going to bug you, but we will contact you and just say, hey, how can we pray for you? How can we connect with you and help you take your next step in that journey? So whether you did it in the room or you're watching online and driving down the road a year and a half from now, we're so thankful that you made that decision. Now, for those of us who have made that decision a while ago, where do we go from here? What do we do with this information? How do we reframe the way we think about Christmas? I have one phrase that I want us to focus on this week and moving forward. And it's simply this, choose each day 
to live as though you aren't the most important person in the world. It's easy to do that, isn't it? For my three and six-year-old, I didn't have to teach them to think they're the most important person in the world. They believe it, though. So do I sometimes. But when we live in a way that says, I'm not the most important person, others are the most important people in the world, we reflect what Jesus was willing to do for us, and we honor him with the life that we live. Let me pray for us one more time. Lord, we're so thankful for the gift that you gave us at Christmas. We're so thankful that you came as a baby, and one of the things that was your goal was to die for us, and that we were on your mind as you died that day. Lord, we pray that this idea of the undeserved gift you've given us lives in the forefront of our minds at Christmas and every other time of the year, and that we would reflect what you taught us to do, to give up what we want, to give others what they need, to not think of ourselves as the most important person, but to think of others that way and to live the way that you've called us to live so that others would see you and that we might be able to introduce them into a relationship with you. And for anyone that might have prayed that prayer that we just walked through and they decided to follow you, I pray that their next steps would be clear in their, in their walk with you. And if anybody's still thinking about whether or not to make that decision, I pray that they would make that decision today. Lord, again, we thank you for this week, for time to celebrate uh, the gift of life that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.